Each of us can contribute meaningful change in the world. As servant leaders in a global society, it was we as sitting hall devote our hearts, minds and spirits to each day. If you are looking for a path where your passion and interest in shaping the world will be taken seriously, then this is the place for you. Take the next step and register at an information session. Connect live with our representatives at an upcoming webinar and learn more about how our customizable graduate programs can help you reach your professional goals. Please check the link in the podcast description. The rotating presidency of the Security Council has come to Albania twice in its two-year membership on the Council. On both occasions, Ambassador Ferret Oja, the country's permanent representative to the UN, spoke to Pass Blue on plans and progress in the Council. Welcome to another episode of Unscripted. I am Damilola Banjo. Hello, I'm Kile Chuku Ogu. Joining us to discuss Albania, the Balkans, and the Security Council is... By way of introduction, I am Angelusha Marina. I am a senior policy fellow at European Council on Foreign Relations, based in a Berlin office. When Albania started its term in the Security Council in January 2022, it did not expect to be defending the sovereignty of a much bigger country, Ukraine. But Ambassador Oja says his country learned quickly and led important conversations. The team feels more empowered. Um, Some of the meetings, some of the issues keep coming and repeating. We have all the impression that we know a little bit more. Sometimes we are frustrated that not much progress has been made on a number of issues. Um, um, Sometimes you're even more frustrated that progress has completely been interrupted as it happened in Sudan, as it happened in, in Niger. But the second year is a particular feeling uh, because you know that um, you are going out of the council at this end of the second year. Um, And talking about progress, your country focused on accountability, justice, um, women, peace and security last year. What might you consider progress um, since the last time you focused on these issues? I think that one of the things we are particularly proud of is the joint commitments on women, peace and security. When we joined the council, it was considered to be a historic momentum that we had three consecutive presidencies having peace and security, uh, women, peace and security in their agenda. Since then, the situation has improved because we are now more than 10 countries, including P5 countries, that are part of the joint commitments, which we are coordinating um, this year. Um, we devoted last year one of the signature events um, last June on, on this issue on bringing the contribution of regional organizations. And since then, we have maintained it not only in the monthly presidencies um, with um, the majority of the members in the council, but also we've been fighting, literally fighting, to have women, peace and security language in almost every resolution. So I think that's really something that everybody in the council has to be um, proud of. Um, Of course, we have maintained accountability front and center in our agenda, uh, particularly linked with a number of conflicts, but one of the major conflicts um, um, in Europe, uh, the ongoing war in Ukraine, 
it has been important to really maintain it uh, in the center of our discussion, but also in trying to push also for concrete ways. There are various proposals, including a proposal for a special tribunal uh, that could deal with the uh, crimes committed in, in Ukraine. Also, we look forward to uh, seeing how we can find the way to go through appropriate legal bodies, international legal bodies regarding the situation of women and girls in Afghanistan. There are, again, concrete proposals. We're working with others in this respect, and we very much want to see uh, how we can advance into some very concrete projects and, of course, looking for results. Morina pays a glowing compliment to the country's time in the ST. During this time that Albania has been uh, part of the Security Council, it has been a very, very interesting period, to say the least, especially due to uh, Russia's aggression in Ukraine and the shifting geopolitical context uh, due to this war. Uh, and so Albania happened to be sitting in the Security Council in this period, during this period. And so I think in this context, they were... Um, really fighting to for for liberal values to begin with. The seat of, of uh, Albania, the ambassador in UN, w- was also very hard at work to uh, protect multilateralism uh, in a way. And so I think in general, uh, they, they leave behind, or by, by the end of this year, they would leave behind quite a sort of quite a rich period sitting in the Security Council uh, for these two years uh, due to these factors that I, uh, that I listed. Before the General Assembly debate starts, Ukraine will take center stage again with a meeting planned for September 20. In our plan- program of work, we will organize a signature event on the 20th September uh, under the agenda item Maintenance of Peace, International Peace and Security, MIPS, uh, with the particular focus on how to uphold the goals and principles of the UN Charter uh, through effective multilateralism and centering that in Ukraine, in what's happened in Ukraine. So what's the impact of the war in Ukraine for the Charter, international law and um, multilateralism? We will try to, of course, benefit from the presence of the world leaders um, during during that time. And we are working to have um, the first high-level meeting on Ukraine in, in the Council. My Prime Minister will um, chair that meeting, and we look forward to the participation of other delegations at the um, level of head of delegation. So we're working on that. It's working in progress. I know that um, that week is messy, is is, is challenging. So many things happening at the same time. We hope to also have for the first time the presence of President Zelensky in town at the UN and in the Security Council. A lot of Ukraine's defense has happened outside of the Security Council, but with the G7 countries that typically donate to fund humanitarian needs around the world. However, Russia aggression in Ukraine means that funds are not readily available for some other needs. The longer big emergencies like Ukraine take, the harder it is to raise funds. But there is also hope because we're trying to, re- to reach out to the private sector in Africa to make sure that they also uh, provide funding. Uh, the continent is seeing a lot of success stories, a lot of people becoming wealthy, um, some of the nations having more wealth, and we are hoping that they too will step in. That was Fatumata Lajon Keba, Communication Officer for Africa at the United Nations Human Rights Commission for Refugee. She spoke with Pass Blue last year on the initiative to make access 
to funding for development aids more resilient in Africa. Albania is thinking along this line. We've been reflecting for quite some time, and we saw it in our participation in the Council, how important it is to, um, when we discuss about the humanitarian issues and humanitarian assistance worldwide, how, what the, the fantastic work that the UN does. But we've, we've noticed, I mean, be it in Syria, be it in, in, in Yemen, we see that the needs are not met, unfortunately. And due to um, instability, um, conflicts um, um, in various parts of the world, uh, the needs have been growing and the, the ability of the um, donor community to really respond quickly in time, in kind, and of course, with everything that is needed, uh, has, has really lacked uh, um, uh, over the years. And we have come up with large, large amounts of not only money, but also other forms of, of, of needs that are not met. Now, this is not because UN is not doing a good job. This is because um, it's very difficult to respond and in time to everything. So we have come together with some partners, in, and among them, Schmidt Futures, um, the United States mission, and some, some others to reflect on, can we do more to really help complement the efforts of the UN and international partners that are, that are historically or, um, engaged into this activity? And we think that the private sector needs to be better involved because the private sector has ability, has money. They have this fantastic uh, uh, feature that they take decisions very quickly. And, and they have, sometimes they have means. They operate in different lines of industry that can be very helpful, not just with, with money, but also with, um, with in-kind um, support. So we are going to present what we think will be in the near future a... Um, private sector humanitarian alliance, which is composed of private, major private sector companies in the US, corporate um, business, uh, philanthropy. So a number of core um, industry actors uh, in the US who are willing to engage into humanitarian assistance worldwide in complement, I insist because this is very important, we do not want to change anything that is currently working. We just want to have the private sector better and more involved in trying to do and help whenever needs arise. We will propose this initial concept on the 14th, and we very much hope to have a large participation as well. Uh, my Minister of Foreign Affairs will be chairing that meeting. But as it happens just before the um, high-level week, we do not expect, although they are welcome, but we don't expect participating at minister level because, I mean, probably people will come a little bit later. Um, but I, we expect a large participation from, from, from the ambassadors and, and other representatives uh, in New York. And we look forward to a very meaningful discussion on the ways and means how to better in involve the private sector in the humanitarian efforts worldwide. We'll be right back. Are you looking for a talk show featuring leading global voices? Do you want to learn more about how international issues directly affect people locally? Global Connections Television presents the insights of global influencers at no cost to viewers and programmers. GCTV is independently produced and reaches more than 70 million potential viewers worldwide each week. The show covers everything from human rights to climate change, from peace and security to empowering women and girls. It features guests such as Dr. Jane Goodall, former UN High Commissioner for Human Rights Mary Robinson, and Peter Yarrow of Peter, Paul, and Mary. 
The show also hosts expert voices from the private sector, academia, and labor and environmental movements. GCTV is available to public television media outlets, universities, and service clubs for distribution. To watch the show or find out more, click the link in our episode description. Now, back to the show. Before Russia backed separatists in Crimea in 2014, it supported rebels in Georgia. These were both precursors to its full invasion in Ukraine. Russia owes 20% of Georgia till date. It has been accused of moving the demarcation line further into Georgian territory. I remember when Georgia's short war with Russia started like yesterday. It was the same day with the opening ceremony of the Beijing Olympics at the Bednest Stadium on August 8, 2008. Russia has invaded three times now. Georgia 2008, Ukraine 2014, Ukraine 2022. Do you feel this is as a result of, and we condemn it absolutely, right? Condemn Russia's invasions, absolutely. But do you feel this is a reaction to some kind of mistrust of NATO and the US in terms of, if we allow Georgia and Ukraine join NATO, they can put offensive weapons in Georgia and Ukraine. So NATO can put offensive weapons in Georgia and Ukraine, and that's direct access to Moscow. If Russia were concerned that Ukraine and Georgia, as parts of its neighborhood, would join NATO and would become hostile, first of all, um, there has always been a policy of openness of NATO um, with Russia. There has been a committee that has um, brought the parties together to always discuss uh, issues of concern. So there are other ways to really um, try to see that uh, NATO and Russia do not necessarily have to be enemies, first of all. Second, if Russia wanted to prevent NATO from enlarging, uh, look what happened. Three, um, two, two other Nordic countries are, are becoming members of NATO. And one of them is absolutely has a large border. So the exact contrary of what Russia was claiming happened. Now they have 1,200 kilometers of border with a member of NATO. So this is absolutely not a realistic. Um, first of all, it's not a justification. It's not a realistic narrative. It's part of the narrative of Russia um, to really hide the real intentions of Russia in what is, is is doing in Ukraine. Russia wants to really deny the existence of Ukraine. That's what they were hoping to do in in a in a in a war that they thought it was it was just a matter of days. They would change the government, they would put a government friendly to Russia, and of course they would run Ukraine as as they would see it fit. The total contrary happened. Back in Europe, where Albania is gaining diplomatic prominence in the Balkans and leading a push to bring Western Balkan states into the EU. Ambassador Oja believes the train from Tirana to Brussels is on its way. Albania has been the key voice in the Berlin process started by Angela Marku in 2014 to expand the EU into the region. Last year, we spoke about um, Albania's ascension to the EU and you were very hopeful. And one of the things you, I remember you said was once um, the issue with uh, Bulgaria and not Macedonia is resolved, Albania will be in a clear path um, to joining the EU. But there seemed to be a new issue coming up with the maritime disputes with Greece. 
what's the status um, report vis-a-vis -vis this development? So I remain as enthusiastic and as hopeful regarding our path to the European Union as I was last year. And actually, new positive elements have happened. Now we are in a clear path of negotiating with the EU. We have been in the waiting room, waiting for everything that is considered by the EU as conditions met, as the appropriate time, as the consensus between the council members to open the negotiations. Now we have that mandate. The European Council has decided to open negotiations for Albania and North Macedonia. We have been using all these months, um, the last six months, to do what they call the pre-screening. So you go, teams will go and analyze every aspect of the chapters of negotiation and see where we are, we identify issues, then the joint conclusions, what needs to be done, so what kind of legislation we need to change, what kind of measures we need to take, what kind of structures need to be either created or updated, so that our situation becomes compatible with that of the European Union. Of course, these things are not done in a matter of months, it will take years, we know that, we are prepared, and we are working to do that. So that's why I'm absolutely as hopeful as enthusiastic, because now the train is in motion for the first time. The train has left the station, and that station was Albania, and now it's going towards the European Union, um, towards Brussels, of course. But Marina sees some hurdles, though. Yes, yeah, so it's not the first that a full uh, EU member blocks a candidate country uh, or blocks its, its way forward into the full membership. Um, there was a case before when Greece blocked Macedonia because they wanted Macedonia. It was the name issue. And so uh, so this went on for many, many years. Macedonia was blocked its membership path to EU, but also to the to NATO. And so eventually they reached an agreement, which is known as Press by Agreement. And uh, Macedonia went through, you know, changing its name constitutionally. Hence, it's now called North Macedonia. Uh, and then, you know, the membership into the NATO proceeded, but, but and the EU membership path has been uh, de-blocked by Greece. And then we had the case of uh, Bulgaria uh, uh, blocking North Macedonia's um, path into the EU for uh, different other reasons, which is still ongoing. So this issue is not new and, and it could possibly, I hope not, but it could possibly be the case that, that unresolved bilateral issues uh, in this case, the ongoing maritime issues between Greece and Albania, but also the new uh, situation with uh, one of the mayors in, in the south of Albania that comes from a Greek minority um, and his arrest uh, has deteriorated relations. So this could, this could influence uh, actually um, Albania's path into a full membership, full EU membership. Everyone in Europe has some sort of issues with its neighbours. It's not that the problem. France and UK had always problems. Spain and UK had have and still have problems in Gibraltar and so on and so on. That's not the problem because with neighbors, we have so much history and so, so many things that, of course, probably not everything is always right. The problem is how you deal with it. And the way we deal now with it is absolutely the European way. So we have an issue. It's not an issue. We have a question to solve. Um, there was a, an agreement um, that was reached between the parties. The Constitutional Court of Albania overthrew that agreement, so we had to start over, and we have decided to really bring the matter where it can be solved much quicker, which is the ICJ. So both parties are preparing their dossier. The dossier we the, we have agreed with Greece that we have to bring it to the ICJ, and of course we will accept the ruling by the ICJ. So that's where we are in the process. But this has nothing to do now with our road to the European Union. So this is a separate matter, bilateral matter and it will not be 
a problem between us and Greece in the um, European part of Albania. Right now, what's new and exciting for you that is not really diplomatic? And does New York still hold the allure that you spoke about last year? And you know, what's, what's really fun for you outside? After the presidency so that I don't have to wake up at four, at four o'clock in the morning. That's really what I'm something that I'm looking for. And fun for me will be if I manage, once we have done the presidency, to take a little bit of time to go out and to explore that part of New York that I'm missing so much that I cannot do because I have to stay on top of the issues and I have to really make sure that our participation in the council stays as firm, as solid, um, energetic. In terms of New Yorker, I'm a little bit of a ghost because my my best part in New York is between my home and my office and the UN. So that's a triangle that I'm following every day. And what's that part you want to explore that you are going to explore after the president, your presidency? Taking time to read, but not reports. It's sad for me to say this, so I've waited until the last moment. This will be my final episode of UN Scripted. I have gone to school to prepare for future endeavors. I'm super grateful to Dami Lola and our editor Dulce Leinbach for giving me an opportunity to do this. Oh, I will really miss you, Kelechiku. I'm wishing you a very, very productive time at Berkeley. And that's it on today's episode of Unscripted. We spoke with Ambassador Ferret Oja, Albania's permanent representative to the UN, who is also the rotating president of the Security Council this September. We also spoke with Angelusha Morina, a senior policy fellow at the European Council on Foreign Relations. This episode was presented by Damilola Banjo and Kelechuku Ogu. Kelechuku Ogu was the producer, music was by Poddington Bear, and the editor is Dulcie Leinbach. This episode has been made possible with support from the Carnegie Corporation of New York, the Open Society Foundation, and you, our generous readers. Unscripted is available where you get podcasts. If you liked today's show, please share it with all your friends and rate us on iTunes.